This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast and first devoted to all elite wrestling <laughs> and the elite extended universe. I like I'm that. Mike. You, you, you remixed it a little bit. Instead of the first and best AEW podcast, it's just the world's best podcast. I mean, we are the first podcast, you know. I am well, sorry. Yeah, that's not what you said. You said the world's best podcast. The best and then first. Right. Best podcast and first AW podcast. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's Mike. Uh, Aaron is on assignment. As you could tell from that intro, he will be back next week. I'm joined by Nate, a.k.a. Pedesis. Uh Nate, how would you intro this? You, you've never really introed EE in 167 episodes. How about you do an intro for us? And we, okay. we start again from there. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to attempt what Aaron does. Okay. The world's first and best. Or, uh, first, okay, let me tear it from the top. This is Everything Elite, the world's first and best AW podcast. Uh, I'm Nate, joined by uh, your old pal and mine, Iron Mike Spears. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right, Nate. Gosh, the intro. You know, I like the levels we have there, the inflection points, and mm. you know, just give me the energy to do this show. How are well, you? I've been practicing my inflection points. I'm I'm in a pretty good mood. It's the it feels like the first day of the longest winter ever, or the worst day after the longest winter ever. Um, so I got all my windows open. I was driving around with the windows open today. I see you got a liquid death there. I had one of those earlier today, and I enjoyed it. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, just giving it a try. And you know what? Very pleasant fizzy water. It's a pleasant fizzy water. Also, I, I think it's the perfect size that you want for a fizzy water. Yeah, you know, 500 milliliters. I think that's empirically proven as like the right amount. It's a little bit more than, you know, your La Croix or your Bubbly or yeah. your AHA. And I think it's more than Perrier. And this has a Perrier mouthfeel. I think that's why I like this a little bit more than the others. It's enough to make you feel like you're really getting hydrated while you're drinking it. And, you know, it's important for us to be hydrated as we talk about tonight's AEW Dynamite. Before we get into that, uh, you can subscribe to the show. Throw us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. I am at Fujiheya. Nate is at Epitasis. And Aaron is at Aaron Like the Car. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is at patreon.com slash everything elite. Three tiers. We'll talk more about that later. And if you just want like an easy link that'll get you to all of our stuff, go to link go to Linktree slash everything AEW. But Nate, we had a pretty insane show tonight, so I think it's kind of worth getting straight into it. Let's play Elite or Delete. And Elite and Delete for First Times listeners is where we pick our favorite thing and our least favorite thing on each episode of AEW Dynamite. Nate, what's your Elite? What is my Elite? Uh, I, I think you're right. This was a insane show in all the possible definitions of that um, in a wrestling context. Um, I guess I'll go with the opening trios match is my elite this week. This felt like the most soundly wrestled <laughs> match on the show. It had uh, the most uh, coherent and competitive 
work in the ring from both teams on here. Uh, this is also, you know, first match on the show. Big building in San Antonio full of people. This was, I think, maybe the the peak of the crowd heat, although they did come back uh, relatively strong for the main event also. Um, and yeah, you just got that classic AEW Super Indie SoCal trio style here from Jurassic Express with your champion, Hangman Page, uh, against the Red Dragon Undisputed Era Future Shock team uh, with Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly and uh, yours and my favorite Drake Wirtz donor, uh, Bobby Fish. Uh, and yeah, this was, I think, kind of the uh, return to the classic AEW opening match of high speed, high work rate, uh, you know, an even match where the teams are going 50-50 for the most part. Uh, and it gets the show going in a pretty hot way, I think. Uh, you had a couple standout spots. You had the triple moonsault, which was kind of inventive. Um, this was, you know, I, I kind of, uh, in the past have, have tracked some parallels between Kota Ibushi and Hangman Page. Uh, and this is Hangman Page fully one-upping him and saying, oh, you and Kenny do two moonsaults together, or we're going to do three moonsaults off the same turnbuckle. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, Hangman, maybe, maybe his smoothest hot tag sequence that he's done um in this company on this one uh and added on another dive at the end of it uh there was one other pretty neat spot what was that uh oh the double doomsday device that was a cool spot from the babyface team uh and then you you know give adam cole the the pin over jungle boy at the end uh that continues kind of a long simmering rivalry where adam cole has pretty much continually gotten the best of jungle boy uh but you know you want to want to get him another strong win over a pushed guy as you have him building up for Adam Hangman Page again. So, yeah, I thought this was uh, uh, maybe the least insane uh, and most sound thing on the show. Yeah, this really had the energy of how they would kick off the shows pre-pandemic in a lot of ways. I think that you really hit the nail on the head there. It also, this match, in a lot of ways, and in the best kind of ways, played off of like the... Uh, Road to trios matches like PWG style, just everyone kind of just doing the things and the crowd molten hot all night. This was a great crowd, at least from my feed. And Aaron Quinn was at the show and she was constantly saying the crowd is just great here. And, you know, San Antonio, given how much they've run Texas and Florida, San Antonio showed out for this. And I the, the, the thing that I did not anticipate really enjoying in this match is you hit on like the outstanding stuff. I mean, Double Orihara and then a moonsault uh, press inside is just, I've never seen that before. So, I mean, that's noble for like such a moves guy like me to be taking it back for a second. I was like, that is insane. Uh, uh, there was like the flying nothing that Jungle Boy did into the super kick where he just got absolutely crushed that I thought was sick as well. But the thing that got me and really like popped me early was uh, Luchasaurus getting a hot tag and coming in and Kyle O'Reilly, who is like one of the all-time greats at eating shit as a heel. And the way he sold the hot tag was tremendous. But yeah, I, I think you really uh, picked the one that like the, the rest of the show was kind of like a constant, just everything happening in the right kind of way on this show with like the matches and the segments included. This very much to me felt like that this was like, all right, I don't want to say this is the good match of the show because there was a lot of stuff on the show match-wise that I did enjoy, but this was like the sound match on the show. And for that, I really enjoyed it as well. 
you know, in this, this was, I think, the first match where I was, well, I, I don't know exactly how to phrase this. There, there was an early period in this company where Luchasaurus had his handful of fun, big guy, hot tag spots, uh, and really started getting good reactions from that. Then there was a period where he was hurt for a bit, and he came back, and it didn't seem like he was up to full speed, uh, and he was kind of finding his footing for a while. Uh, and then kind of got into the swing of things, uh, you know, and then that led right into their world title push and world title reign. And they had some standout matches uh, during that period, that match in Minneapolis uh, among them. Uh, but this was the first one where I, I think I was really kind of impressed with with Luchasaurus uh, as a as a solo competitor and not in the full context of his team and the crowd heat and everything. His, uh, his punches looked Really good. I don't know if that's those are always the punches. Maybe it's you know that Kyle O'Reilly, uh, you know, uh, a great seller. So maybe that's part of what I'm looking at. But yeah, and they, he was running through everybody. Those choke slams and crowd was going wild. Um, so yeah, usually I come away I think from their tag matches, you know, going oh you know Jungle Boy's ready. You know he's got a, a cooler move set than people appreciate. He's sneaky smooth. He's got the kind of understated cool charisma. Uh, and this is the one where I went, oh, you know, I, I do understand why people always chant for Luchasaurus and want to see him run through those spots. Yeah, this was something that, you know, the match that really kind of cemented the Dress Express as an act for me uh, was first the first uh, Fight for the Fallen match where it was just like, oh, they are the most overact on this show. But then it was later on in Daily's Place where it was that tag match with Jurassic Express versus MJF and Wardlow, where they just like where you really got to see Luchasaurus kind of get his groove back after the injury, like he was fully back at that point. I thought that that was kind of remarkable, but yeah, this is like the rare occasion where I felt like I was really more impressed with Luchasaurus as a part of the tandem than I was uh, Jungle Boy. It's not that I think Jungle Boy was bad in this match whatsoever. It just was like you you, you saw in a lot of ways that I felt like that. Jurassic that uh, Luchasaurus lived up to the pops that he would get in a way and held up his end of the deal. And I mean, hey, man, you know, like as like the babyface champion, like the champion team was solid in it as well. And at this point, I wonder if they're ever going to give them that name that they like registered for a while. Uh, the uh, former Undisputed Era, because I remember for a while they, they were talking right. about Aragon as yeah. their name. So but definitely took that name from Mass Effect, right? I mean, Mass Effect, I feel like there's a Paragon, maybe an Apex as well. Mm, yeah, it could be. Par I mean, there, there might be a Paragon. Well, you would know. Is there a Paragon in Halo? In Halo, uh, it's mentioned, but it's not like the deal that like Paragon versus Renegade is, is in Mass Effect, you know? Yeah, Mass like, Effect is my guess. I feel like he yeah. probably likes Mass Effect. I mean, Bioware Shooter, that, that seems to be right up uh, the Chugs' alley, so... I, I'm with you on that. Uh, my elite, uh, I really enjoyed, and I know that this is something that our listeners weren't necessarily, and patrons were as high on. I really liked this private party versus Hardy's match. <laughs> I thought that this was really, it, it, it was something that like it was working, like capital W working a lot of ways, especially for the Jeff hot tag. But I thought private party in this match really like you could tell that this was a match that they were super looking forward to they're really looking forward to facing 
you know, their idols with this. And then Jeff Hardy, through the power of being over, just came in and it was like, no, I don't want the finish to be right here. I'm going to do a splash instead of the Swanton. And that really popped me. And then he did what I think was the heaviest looking Senton bomb I've ever seen in my life, just absolutely cratering <laughs> Isaiah. <laughs> like he came down and it was like no roll through. It was like he spiked his back right on Isaiah Cassidy. And I mean, Matt's okay at this point. Like Matt's Matt, but you know, Jeff just uh the way they worked the hot tag for jeff i really appreciated a great too yeah uh i mean great pop great pop for the hardys coming out uh notice throughout the show they only referred to them as the hardys or the hardy brothers um yeah. i assume yeah wwe owns a trademark on the hardy boys um and also they're not boys anymore um they have children. But i thought that was yeah that was kind of uh it's funny how much that kind of pings your ear when they never say hardy boys because it's like well you know it's two grown adults they're brothers uh but you're just so used to hearing those two words together um yeah private party i thought because i mean yes you're right there's a joy to be found in these two old dudes um who you know uh, debuted in wwe when they were 16 years old uh and have been you know part of wrestling and part of our lives for basically the entirety of them um just two old dudes hitting their spots and wearing their old gear and with their old music and the crowd fucking losing their minds for them uh there's a joy to be found in that um you talked last week about i think matt and his old gear and that like whatever shirt i don't even know what it's made out of um but i do think him in that shirt kind of exacerbates uh his kind of age-related drawbacks i suppose um so i was impressed with private party really because- <laughs> yeah I, I would say matt uh you you know i mean get a tighter pair of spanks or like find like something that like isn't as form-fitting i think it's a fair thing to say yeah and you know, it's, it's not even that like visually he looks bad so much to me um maybe it's like a psychological thing where it's just him and his old gear makes me think he should be moving at the pace of his old young self you know, something like that. So then when he's not able to move at that case pace, naturally, uh, it's just kind of, you know, it's a little more jarring. It's the same thing with the Hardy Boys name. It's like, well, why would you call them the Hardy Boys? They're not boys anymore. And it's just like, well, I'm, I'm just used to hearing the Hardy Boys together. That's why. Um, but I was Private Party who there was a, a time in this company where Private Party was like uh, uh, noticeably green for television. And there would be matches where like, they they kind of fell apart a little bit um, because they were just, you know, a raw team that was coming off uh, the New York Indies onto television right away. Uh, and they weren't working every match with the Young Bucks. So there were other matches where you're like, oh, OK, I, I can see that these these guys are still a project. Uh, and you didn't get that in this uh, the private party. Really, I think, held the thing together when there were long periods of this that were like Matt down and selling and Matt you know, showing his age in those moments and Jeff just not ready to take the hot tag yet. Cause we're waiting for the big hot tag to Jeff to finish it off. Uh, and I think this, this was probably a lot, a large part of this was probably through the commercial break. So I don't know that everyone saw it. Um, but it's like, wow. Yeah. They are, uh, uh, carrying this match with their heel heat on Matt Hardy and he's down and selling for a long time. Uh, and I guess I was impressed with private party in those moments that they kept it all together there. Cause there's a version of this match where uh, 
you know, the Hardys look a little older and the crowd kind of loses it. Um, and we didn't get to that point. Uh, yeah, the, the, the middle rope splash by Jeff was truly bizarre. I <laughs> uh, didn't, uh, commentary seemed surprised by it. I was surprised by it. Uh, there was a moment where I was worried about it, where I was like, well, we just saw him do a swanton last week. Why is he not doing one now? Is what, what is, yeah. what happened here that he's not doing one? Uh, but it's because yes, he wanted to set up the uh, <laughs> uh, the stiffest swanton of all time on the opposite corner, uh, which was <laughs> uh, pretty brutal looking <laughs> and and fun for that reason. Um, but yeah, you know Jeff gets in there, still pops off the shirt, gets a big pop for it. Um, everybody wanted to see the Hardy Boys win here. They got it. They got the music. Um, we got private party get their dream match of all dream matches with those guys having you know become friends in a tag team because they both love the hardy boys uh and now they've you know taken that all the way to this uh to this big stage in san antonio so that's cool to see um and yeah a little angle to set it up afterwards with the andrade family office and then darby and sting coming out so and you know some continuity there because jeff hardy uh, you know, uh, fell in love with wrestling and started painting his face and stuff because he saw Sting as a kid. So uh, it goes from Sting to Jeff on to Private Party and down the line. So, yeah, this was uh, uh, a joy to watch despite parts of the match that very much could not have been. Yeah, uh, Thoros in the chat brought up that the main thing that came to mind to him while watching this, Matt, was Matt was Michael Hayes as their manager decades ago looking at Matt. And looking like Matt, like they're about the, the same age that uh, Michael Hayes was at that uh, point. I mean, they're they're older. Somebody somebody quote tweeted Thoros earlier and said that uh, Matt Hardy is now seven years older than Michael Hayes was when Michael Hayes was managing. Them. <laughs> it's just something that and I think like the thing is like with Jeff, we've seen a little bit of like age progression in the Hardy Boys act. Like he's added the face paint. He's changed up his shirt. So he's, he doesn't wear like the short sleeve ones or like he has like the two tone kind of thing. So he's kind of evolved a little bit. And Matt, in a lot of ways, is still the same Matt Hardy from the year 2000 in this act. And you kind of notice it when you see his hairline too, and the back of his head, the bald spot going with that. And maybe that's something that, like, I mean, he's like he for all we say about Jeff Hardy and all the stuff that Jeff Hardy's gone through, hasn't necessarily beat his body up at least in ring the same way that Matt had. And I think that that kind of came true here. But I've never seen a Swanton bomb be as heavy as that like it was like a full on like like meteor meteorite strike onto Isaiah it just was it, it was lowering the boom on him it was incredible yeah the I mean the face paint helps Jeff you know it, it, it hides whatever elements of his age might poke through otherwise uh, yeah he doesn't have the hair thing that Matt has where you know Matt's dyed his hair a bunch he did the you know dyed his hair for the broken Matt hard Matt thing um, so you, you know, when he tries to dye the hair now and go back to, I'm going to be my young self. You just, you notice those little things like, oh yeah, no hair is not looking quite the same. Uh, whereas those kind of, uh, you, you know, Jeff is changed it and has the face paint thing going where it's like you, the differences between him and his young self just aren't as evident to the eye. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I'm interested to see how long they do it as like, we're the Hardy Boys from 1997 or whatever. We're doing this uh, pointed nostalgia act about it. And when they 
evolve it into something different because you know the, they always do they always go in some direction you know matt will always have some new gimmick idea uh and and some new uh character that he wants to do or whatever um so i'm curious to see how long this is just like a hey hardy boys nostalgia tour we're you know hitting up all these states on the east coast uh and when they start to spin it in some new direction yeah, that that's going to be an interesting thing because there always will be money with Hardy Boys, but in week like weekly television programming, you know, like there has and the way that Tony Khan is, like there has to be some level of progression there. So I'll be keeping an eye out for that as well. Uh, as we are absent, Aaron, this week we're going to have two listener elites and deletes, and the way that you can submit this is joining us on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash. Everything AE, everything elite, not every everything AEW, patreon.com slash everything elite, and you submit it in our elite or delete channel on Discord. The first one is from a friend of the show, uh, Murder Brian. He, he dropped us off one, and it is the JAS. So the Jericho Appreciation Society. And I, I have to say it, Nate, uh, like laying us off here. Chris Jericho has done it again. He, he he's unstoppable. You can't count Chris Jericho out. You can't do it. I mean, you know, he's not exactly uh, pioneering new ground here. Um, as Oatgan pointed out, this is pretty much running back the promo that Chris Jericho did on the second week of AEW television, where he introduced the inner circle and you know introduced who everybody was uh, and did a promo about it and. Uh, he called back directly to that promo talking about, you know, that's bad idea from bad creative. Um, but yeah, he did kind of <laughs> uh, flip the idea on its head a little bit just by fully embracing uh, being a sports entertainer as a heel act. Um, and, you know, this is a little bit what Brian Danielson was doing, but now Danielson has gone in this new direction with Regal and Moxley. So the lane is there for Jericho to slot right in. It's, it's really more of a natural <laughs> uh, fit for Jericho anyway. Um, you know, Danielson was coming out and, and being the guy who respects the WWE as a heel act and talking about, well, I, I was main eventing WrestleMania or whatever. Uh, but now he's, you know, embraced who he truly is, which is the uh, uh, vicious psychopath uh, murderer wrestler guy. Uh, so Chris Jericho, who, of course, you know, spent a career in WWE, uh, kind of s- slots right into that perfectly. And, you know, he, he's also got kind of the comedic element that makes it work well. Uh, really enjoyed in this promo where uh, the other guys, the 2.0 guys, uh, were talking about Jericho and Jericho was doing like very sage nods and thank yous and these little uh, like angelic expressions to the camera where these heels ranted and 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 put him over for one thing or another. Um, that was very amusing to me. Uh, and then, yeah, this, this uh, line he walked where he's, a sports entertainer as a heel act. He puts over, or, or Daniel Garcia uh, uh, also embraces being a sports entertainer, which is even, you know, doubly more shameful and awful because he is, you know, such a, a bright prospect as a pro wrestler. Um, and, you know, he, he renames the 2.0 guys, I, I think with fake names, even though they had the real names, but says yeah. the opposite. Is that right? Yeah, uh, so... So they're no longer 2.0, no more made-up names, and he then promptly calls Matt Lee Daddy Magic Matt Menard, and he renames Jeff Parker Cool Hand Ange Angelo Parker. 
yeah. <laughs> so we didn't get a new name for the team, right? It's it's 2.0 pending some new name. I I think that they're going to be called Menard and Parker. Maybe Daddy Magic and Cool Hand Ange. Okay. <laughs> Those are... <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, only Jericho could inter- introduce such awful names and have them be... Uh, uh, so... They're so even... good. <laughs> They're so bad. They're so good. Daddy Magic is a fantastic nickname. I'll let everyone know in the Discord. I immediately picked the photo, really hyper zoomed in of uh, Daddy Magic Matt Menard, just into like his eyes and his face because he was just he was having such a head day. And I immediately made an emote that is called Daddy Magic because there's only one thing that has Ooh. happened. It has to be that. So, yeah, uh, we'll see about that. Uh, Other crazy things about this promo, I would say, is Chris Jericho kind of now is like towing the line of like a messianic cult figure in a way that I find really kind of interesting. Like, it's very clear that uh that menard and parker like like say like you have to honor him and like he's just saying like he was doing like the sage nods like very danny mcbride in a way that i appreciate and just the throwaway line that jake hager does not talk but he says jake hager saved his life in dubai and he and he is the hand of the king just insane stuff that he was saying like chris jericho was saying everything but in a way that was insane in a way that really works Yes, and, and and even uh, you know an element of truth to it also that he's like, hey, Daniel Garcia likes me because I donated thousands of dollars to him, but he was in a car crash, which is a shoot. Uh, and you know, hey, it, it, these guys were friends with my old friend Kevin, uh, and he called me up and, and asked me to get him a job. Uh, so I, you know, I don't think that story is probably true, but at least you get some kind of character continuity where it's like, yes, there's actually some real you know quote-unquote real pro wrestling world where these things have some kind of basis in in truth or reality so uh yeah very amusing um liked it (laughs) i don't know they probably don't have as high a ceiling as the inner circle does in terms of you know uh uh main eventing multiple pay-per-views and and jericho being a world champion and all those things i i just don't see those same heights for for these five guys uh, but again, hopefully this <laughs> hopefully this continues to be entertaining sports entertainment television. And uh, I think Daniel Garcia, a little bit of a revelation, is like a fun, intentionally funny microphone guy. Yeah, I think I think Garcia is going to be the one to really watch in this thing. Like he's already shown that he has like the charisma, like the fact that like first off, like you had him and 2.0 coming out and everyone was wearing white slacks and he was still wearing a tank top tucked into white slacks was just like a tremendous thing. Like this might be really entertaining him being a sports entertainer. Like that's going to be the thing that sticks to me with this other than, you know, uh, as we talked about like last week like uh parker and menard they're perfect flunkies like that's going to be perfectly fine there it it, it's going to be a great way for jericho to continue eating scenery and i think that that's really like if he's not going to be in the title picture having jericho do stuff that's interesting and entertaining is you know the best use of chris jericho so i think that that's be something exciting to look forward uh another listener elite without aaron uh let's go this was a common one and it was wheeler yuda it was said by chelsea thoros there's a couple of others who said this uh wheeler yuda and uh short shine said it as well 
Uh, Wheeler Yuta in the uh, tag team match uh, between John Moxley and Brian Danielson versus Yuta and Chuck Taylor. Yeah, I mean, that was really the story of this match. Uh, and he held up his end of the bargain, uh, you know, in there with Brian Danielson and Moxley as the murder dudes um, who are vicious wrestlers who like to hurt people uh, and are going to improve and teach wrestlers by hurting people. Um, and really, you know, kind of a, a standard tag match through the through the first half of it or whatever. And the story, the second half of it uh, was that Wheeler Yuta would not die. And he was, you know, eating the yes kicks from Brian Danielson uh, and, and getting back up and into his face uh, and, and showing a little bit of grit and determination and character uh, that they really haven't given us before. You know, before he was just kind of the uh, uh, the foil to Orange Cassidy coming in with the high energy. Um, and yeah, the, the crowd pretty much got behind it. I, I think it took a little bit of, uh, Danielson egging them on, which uh, a lot of the reactions in this match were Danielson kind of going, hey, give me a reaction now. Um, but they they got the idea. They figured out. They got behind Yuta, gave him some chance. Um, so that was successful. And then you had the post-match angle with Yuta leaving the best friends to go back into the ring and, and square up with William Regal. Uh, Regal slapping him and Yuta getting back into his face. Uh, and then I don't know. I guess he sent him away. I didn't exactly follow Regal's decision making here. Uh, you know, I like that angle yeah. as a, as a thread for Yuta because it's like, well, you know, he's a, a a young protege of of the best friends, but you know, maybe his ceiling is higher than that. Maybe he doesn't just want to be a goofy comedy guy or whatever it is. Um, so he he goes to what he thinks might be a greener pasture with the uh, crazy sociopaths. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't exactly follow what, I guess they didn't accept him into their group, but they seemed to respect that he, you know, made the attempt or something. Uh, did you have any thoughts on what was happening exactly? Well, like Regal is saying stuff, but it's off mic and you can only pick up through the camera mic and he, and he basically told him to run along. He was like, all right, sunshine, run along. <laughs> but it was not said in like an insulting way. It was kind of said with like a, okay, that's what I want to see out of you in a way. So it's in a way it kind of left it with a comma, not a period to me. And I, I really like Yuta's progression here because if we treat beating the, being the elite as a part of the text, which we tend to do when it's applicable wheeler yuda and all the best friends things is trying to learn and he's trying to like do like match study with chuck taylor right. throughout it and it would always end up with chris Statlander choking him out and you know uh orange cassie being no help whatsoever uh chuck just berating him and trent wanting nothing to do with him so why wouldn't he want to go hang out with the sociopaths that want to make people be better at this why is it like someone like regal who it's clear that he respects and it's something that regal on commentary like was very good in being the manager but putting over everyone in that regard but was like really pointedly towards wheeler yuda in a way that he was somewhat impressed with him why not if you are wheeler yuda uh shoot your shot get slapped in that get enoki slapped don't come to don't shy away step right back up and everyone kind of like grinning and smiling at him and like that they wanted like in a bloodthirsty manner, they like the fact that he stepped up there. I mean, I think that's like a necessary character progression from Wheeler Yuta for over the, like the last few months. And it's something that like, after one of like his big performances, I was really glad to see that, 
you know, and it's something that I hope that this is something that they come back to. And the fact that Wheeler Yuta really seems to like want to leave all the uh, jokesters behind them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and unexpected rare, I guess that I would uh, be surprised by a, uh, a stable dissolution or betrayal angle. Um, but yeah, I was not expecting Wheeler Yuta to be the guy to go, no, I can do better than this. I'm, I'm hungry to do better. Um, and that's kind of an interesting thread to pull at. Uh, you mentioned Regal being good on commentary. I did think he was pretty good at the commentary desk. He was on commentary throughout the match. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know what my expectations were. I was a little bit after I didn't listen to the talk is Jericho interview, but uh, from all the discourse around it, I was like, oh, I wonder if this guy uh, can put two sentences together. Uh, but he was uh, <laughs> fully good at commentary. Uh, you know, if JR ever rides off in the sunset, maybe he wouldn't be a bad third guy at the desk. Um, not that there aren't plenty of other candidates also, but uh, I thought he... You know, he's, he's a, a well-spoken guy and brings a, a very defined uh, uh, character to everything he does. And that's one of the, uh, you know, strong points about him. And it's really become his calling card, obviously, since he hasn't been uh, a in-ring wrestler for, I don't know how long, probably 10 years or something. I mean, uh, and, and, and a relevant one for a period before that also, so. Yeah, it, it's something that, like, it's also very disarming. It tells you, like, when I stopped watching WWE, he's dropped the received pronunciation accent that he used to do all the time, and now he just, I think he's from, like, L- Lancashire. So, like, he's kind of doing, like, a, or Blackpool, they bought him from Blackpool, but I, I'm sorry, I don't know where accents come from in the UK. I'm an idiot from Texas. But, like, he dropped, like, the BBC accent that he was doing for so long as, like, Lord William Regal and all of that. And, you know, he, it, it, it's something that, like, I would be very interested. And I forgot who tweeted this. I've been Cubs fan said, like, they had to get Regal at, like, one of those 2 a.m. dark tapings with him and and Taz and Excalibur. Like, that's what I really want to see what happens there. Because you very easily would have them, like, sleep deprived and at a point where you know Excalibur is going to want to bring up some random wrestler from like 1970s in UK and Regal's just not going to have any of it. He just wants to riff with, Excal- with Taz. And that's kind of who I want to see out of him at the commentary desk. Yeah. Him and Excalibur is a good new dynamic because now Excalibur has been around long enough and as you know, uh, earned his respect with all the other guys long enough uh, that his, one time sort of role is like the new guy uh and you know this this new kid who does commentary with a mask on and all the vets are like what the fuck is that about uh you know that is pretty much evaporated because he's proved his value uh time and time again so having regal there to be like okay who's this you know fucking joker with the mask on at the desk tell me about this uh i don't know what did he say about danhausen what do you call him oh he, he called him i tweeted this out i, I have it yeah. in my notes i uh, want to say he- Oh, you got it. Demon Waif. Demon Waif. Okay, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna say Faye Ghoul, but I knew that wasn't it. Demon Waif <laughs> is the other side of that. I um, mean, Faye Ghoul <laughs> might be next time. I think he should keep on having different ways of just not understanding what Danhausen is, and you know, th- th- there's some deep text there about the fact that he wouldn't get Danhausen's act. You know? Yeah, he did. He at one point said, uh, "And Masked Man, you haven't done anything for me or something," because he was putting over Tony and JR for helping him so much when he came to the U S uh, and I wanted to be like, Excalibur got you all those passes to the PWG backstage, man. 
like you know give him a little respect <laughs> hey that could have all been super dragon who who knows about that maybe yeah excalibur is just too busy you know getting commentary together for that who knows but yeah no uh roy regal you know i feel like over the last 10 days kind of had like an about face about him in the company in a lot of ways he's been a lot of fun so far well yeah i won't go that far but uh he was good on commentary here Okay, that's fair. I, 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 I've been enjoying him ever since that, but, but that, that's just me, though. Uh, delete. Nate, what do you want to delete? Oh, what do I want to delete? Um, what else was on this show? I mean, a lot that we haven't gotten to, actually, including the main event and the, well, the two yeah. title matches. You know? Not going not gonna to delete the main event. Um, I'm sure there was something that didn't work for me um yeah okay i i guess i don't know i kind of like scorpio sky versus warlow that was about what it should have been you know um this is tough oh okay here here this is uh ftr backstage had one of the most nothing backstage interview segments that they've maybe ever done in this company, um, you know, the last one they did was them firing Tolly in about 10 seconds uh, for some reason. I don't know. They love their family, so they fired him, I guess. Um, this was them being interviewed about firing Tolly. Uh, and then the Young Bucks came up, made fun of their clothes, and said, you guys will always be the second best tag team and aw neither of these teams hold the tag team titles by the way so neither of these teams are the tag team champions the yeah. best team in aw uh there's also like i don't know a lot of other teams uh i mean there's also uh john moxley and brian danielson are a tag team in aw um sting and darby allen are a tag team in aw um uh, you know the young bucks are like the best tag team of their generation. And, you know, case low will say of all time. Uh, so maybe you can just give them the number one spot permanently. Uh, but FTR has some proving to do uh, before they can just get the de facto number two spot automatically. We're just permanently the number two tag team for some reason, because we had some good matches with American alpha 25 years ago. Uh, not buying that. Uh, but yeah, this segment was nothing. Um, you know, the young bucks, uh, they made fun of their clothes. I don't know. Yeah, like the one thing that I'll say that was kind of interesting was a very there was a very pointed Bret Hart reference in this that like saying like maybe you need to get someone who's the best there is out there to help him out. But the rest of it just felt like it was like oh so the Bucks now are getting back into FDR's faces and they're trying to do a lot of things at once. It makes me think that they're going to be doing like we had the. Uh, New Japan Juniors three-way tag at Revolution. Are we going to get a four-way tag out of this at Double or Nothing? Like, is that where we're at right now in the tag team division? That now the FTR is going to be inserted in the mix with Red Dragon, Jurassic Express, and the Young Bucks, which further just... I, I, I've been on a kick lately that I think I figured out why the tag team division isn't that good right now. I think I figured it out. Well, uh, so my guess is they just don't have time, so they just do Battle Royales and then big multi-man title matches. Well, 
that 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 is a thing because they're, they're not doing anything in service of the tag team champions. The tag team champions are just passengers for everything that's happening around there. I mean, the uh, tag team match of Revolution was more about Red Dragon and Young Bucks than it was about Jurassic Express. And you look at all the other title defenses they had. It's the Acclaimed, the uh, Beaver Boys, Private Party, and the Gun Club. L- like, And none of those have been like real out-and-out feuds. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you're not wrong. I, I suppose that's kind of right. Uh, I guess it just doesn't bother me so much. But if this if this segment is the setup to uh, adding FDR to that mix, that will bother me. Because, you know, if they had wanted to go back to Young Bucks and FDR, they had the perfect opportunity uh, in that Battle Royale to let Top Flight get the upset, eliminate the Young Bucks, or, you know, have uh, FTR and the Young Bucks, uh, them being so focused on each other in the Battle Royale, have that lead to the elimination, whatever it is. You had these guys interacting in a match context recently if you wanted to actually drive this to the point of, hey, they're finally going to have a, I don't know, second match? Is that, did they only have one match for the title? I don't remember, whatever it is. Um, but <laughs> they didn't do that. They went to the chalk pay-per-view match which you know again i liked a lot a great match um but it's what we knew it would be which is young bucks and red dragon getting involved into the three-way title match um them working together ultimately you know coming to blows you know kind of costing themselves the match uh by being so focused on each other that uh you know jurassic express able to get back into it etc uh and then you go from that to the young bucks making fun of their clothes (laughs) Uh, it, it, it's just a, uh, you know, it's maybe the, the, I don't is laziest. I don't know. I mean, it's a time on a tradition. One team makes one guy makes fun of the other guy and now they're fighting, but it, uh, much like the Tully Blanchard segment last week, it's like, well, it was 10 seconds and no reason to care about these characters. So whatever you, you know, you move some deck chairs around. Uh, and this time it's, well, you know, we're having this other team come in and make fun of them. And that's supposed to lead to something meaningful, whatever. I guess. Yeah. Lazy, mostly just boring. And it's something that I'm going to further the, the last point you made about moving deck chairs. I'm going to further, uh, go into that for my elite because it felt like I, right now I'm looking at my spreadsheet where I write down what happened in every segment. There were so many just 30 second segments on this show that was like moving deck chairs in a way that you did not really get uh, like any things don't land as much like you had Keith Lee and Team Taz have like a 30 second segment and then Chris Satlander taking off her makeup. That was like 10 seconds. Then the FTR one that you talked about the acclaimed with Ricky and and uh, Swerve coming in. That was like 30 seconds. Serena Deeb actually had like a 45 second promo that was pretty decent for her. Like I thought that was pretty effective. Jay got 30 seconds. Red Velvet got 30 seconds. And like nothing really like resonates with that. Like maybe Red Velvet only needed the 30 seconds to set up the match on Rampage. But it just it's something that like you have like all this stuff going on and you have like one long entering segment. You have some post-match stuff as well. But really that one long entering segment and things don't land necessarily when you do things like so fast like this. We've seen them do this a lot and it makes it the show feel a lot more breezy because things are happening all the time. 
but it, it's something that's like, how am I supposed to react to Chris Statlander taking off the alien makeup and taking out the contact? Like, how is that supposed to resonate when it goes straight into another match? How is the how is the FTR thing going to resonate when it goes straight into Max Caster talking about how he's a no limit soldier? Like, there's the it, it, it's not that it, it's an efficient use of time, but it's something that when you do things all the time. You know, things don't get a chance to breathe and they don't get a chance to sink in in a way that I think is truly effective in a lot of ways. And like that was a that was the thing that I've been noticing for the last few weeks. And it's a positive. But I also think that we have to like look at this stuff when you do like big angles in these 30 seconds. Like, do they come across as attended like the whole entire FTR stuff? I feel like embodies that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my big, I had a bigger complaint about that last week. I think it didn't bother me as much on this show. Um, but I think you're, you're exactly right about it can be an efficient use of time. Um, and it, it can be an effective way to like keep people at the forefront of memory or, uh, you know, reinforce what you like about someone or something like that. Um, but when you're doing these quick little uh, family guy cutaway gags to like actually advance plot or like relationships in what's supposed to be a meaningful way. It just doesn't work. The FTR thing is really like the, maybe the best example of it, like, or, or the Chris Statlander thing. Like, you know, they've been doing the Keith Lee and team Taz thing already, you know, uh, the same segment every week, basically with these backstage uh, interview interruptions. Um so that kind of is what it is. And the Serena Deep, the Serena Deep thing, I guess I'll say is like the good version of it, right? Because we know the characters. We've she's been getting wins in the ring. So, you know, she's kind of legitimate from that perspective. We know why she's feuding with Hikaru Shida. They've set all that up. Um, and we just get two camera promos from her where she's a mean lady, uh, and she reinforces you know, why she's the heel and and why we care about this feud. And, you know, it's like an effective little recap where it's like, hey, don't forget about this. This is a, a feud we've been building and, uh, you know, developing for a long time too. And, uh, you know, we're going to take this time to remind you why you hate Serena Deeb. So that can be a good use of time. Um, but with the FTR thing, it's like you're using that same uh, vehicle, that same time allotment or even less time probably to be like uh fdr uh they fired totally blanchard they might be faces now and it's like okay that happened in 10 seconds and it's supposed to be a meaningful character progression uh it, you know there's just not enough time there and not enough of interest there for it to really land um or the yeah the young bucks thing is is kind of the same it's like we're supposed to believe these guys are rekindling a rivalry because they faced off with each other backstage for 10 seconds. It's I appreciate that. They're trying to give somebody, give everybody something to do and give time to all these programs and, and set things up and plant seeds. Um, but yeah, when you, when you're trying to do something meaningful in one of those rushed segments and not just a recap or a promo or, you know, uh, even the even the acclaimed thing with Team Taz was like, oh, you know, they're they're kind of doing a, a comic bit here, and we're getting a little punchline from Shane, Shane Strickland. I don't even mind that as much, but yeah, trying to do like real plot with it is is just selling that plot short. Yeah, and I think that's the things that kind of 
sells everything short in that regard. Uh, listener deletes. Uh, a really common one is uh, this is something that came from Tracy A. Adam and a couple others. I'm just going to kind of roll it together to one. The finish to the TNT title match where Warlow gets distracted by Sean Spears and MJF comes up from the bottom of the ring, shoves him into a turnbuckle, and uh, Scorpio Sky retains with a roll-up. Uh, the common complaint was that's an obvious finish, and it was like the finish from Adam said that is the finish from every uh, losing to the heat spot from every WWE big guy match. Yeah, well, so here's my complaint about the finish. I don't mind that MGF cost in the match. Um, and I even kind of like that they, you know, uh, uh, did Sean Spears coming out as a red herring or whatever. Uh, but I don't know. They have people kick out of every single belt shot in this promotion. Like anytime somebody hits somebody else with the belt in a title match, uh, the champions kick out and it's supposed to be like, oh, you know, they're basically have killed belt shots uh, because it's supposed to be novel when somebody kicks out of belt shot. It's like, hey, in the other promotion, you know, the heels cheat, hit somebody with a belt and that's the match. And you're upset because the heels cheated and, and uh, you know, they retain the titles because or they won the titles for that reason. Um. And then you have Wardlow, who's, you know, supposed to be this superhuman, massive beast man uh, who's been killing people for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, And he basically gets beat here by being pushed into the turnbuckle post, which is also a spot that happens in every single match. (laughs) Like whenever people fight on the outside, somebody gets thrown into the steps or the turnbuckle post. Uh, And on this one, it beats Wardlow. That's... That's pretty weak to me. Um, Wardlow shouldn't be jobbing to a push into the turnbuckle post. Um, I don't, you know, they, they saved the dynamite ring shot for after the match. Um, I almost wondered if they meant to do that on the outside also, because it seemed like MGF was looking for the ring on the outside for a long time and I couldn't figure it out. Um, and I don't know, maybe he didn't want to do a chair shot because chairs were going to figure heavily into the main event or something uh but yeah that's i'm fine with mgf cheating to to advance their feud and you know uh uh bail scorpio sky out of this match here right after he won the belt that all makes sense that's fine booking i think but warlow should be able to kick out of a turnbuckle post shot yeah and i think that's where i come down with it is like i feel like everyone as soon as scorpio won the match i was like oh yeah so scorpio's going to when because uh, we're going to get MGF and Spears involved, then that's going to get Scorpio kind of the cheap win. That's fine. He's a he's a heel. He and he's kind of in a heel stable that they are more than willing to do these sort of things. So this is you know it fits in that regard. But like the shove in the turnbuckle, the thing that gets me about that Nate, it wasn't even like a massive like wipe out head first into the turnbuckle. Yeah, it was. Did like, he bump? He didn't even bump off it, did he? He like collided into it, and it's something that like they have like pushed over these few weeks. Like how much of just a physical freak of nature Wardlow is. He does four power bombs in a row in rapid succession, and it doesn't even phase him whatsoever. And a lot of his wins like that come have just been just him running right through them, absolute squashes. So MJF, who I think we conservatively can say sixty pounds lighter, probably about a half foot shorter or like significantly shorter 
just kind of shoving him. It wasn't vicious. It wasn't like something that you would buy. Like when they did the roll up in the ring, I thought Scorpio was about to get his feet on the ropes and do it that way to get the win. Like I was like, okay, that's a finish. Like how's this going to look like something that Warlow should not be able to kick out of? And instead it was just kind of, you know, nothing. It was like, oh, just a clean pen. Like have Scorpio put his feet on the ropes or have MJF hold down Warlow, you know? Or yeah, you got two UFC fighters out there. So push them into the ropes and then have them punch them in the head a few times. I don't know. It, just anything to more put over uh, uh, Wardlow for being huge and strong and cool would have been good. Yeah, uh, but yeah, just a turnbuckle shot. And, and that would make American top team seem more like, oh, they're a problem because you have to be able to get Scorpio's guy clean, but you have you know, these MMA fighters out there who could knock you out and choke you out and he can just scavenge the wins like a vulture. Like, it's more effective for all parties if it's more of an effective fuck finish than just the one that it was. I did like commentary putting over that Wardlow doesn't have any friends because he's been MGF's lackey for the last two years. That was a good bit of business um, to be like, yeah, you know, hey, Wardlow... Seems like he turned over a new leaf, but uh, don't forget, he's been a real shithead to everybody for the last two years, so <laughs> that's why he's all alone out here. Yeah, and the crowd was like screaming for CM Punk to come out and save him. It's like, why would CM Punk have done a favor once, but how is Wardlow redeemed? And Wardlow has talked about that in the Wardlow's world promo, so I thought that that was really kind of effective. And then, you know, the post-match, like uh, Vanderberg, I'm blanking on what his first name is, uh, Paige Van Austin? Austin Vanderberg, yeah. Uh, him choking him out and then like doing the chair, doing Vanderford, Austin Vanderford choking him out and then headshots are back. Sean Spears brought back the headshot and then like the ring there. Like if the, the layout afterwards felt really deserved, I felt like. Like the post match stuff all really kind of felt like this. Because Warlow was able to beat everyone down until it's him and MJF and then they all just kind of fuck him. And I felt like that, yeah. that was all very fitting and appropriate. This is what I've been asking for. Hey, you don't want to do chair shots to the head. That's fine. I get it. Uh, you know, um, but it, you know, it, it, nobody's going to blame me if he puts his hands up because we get the idea, right? So that was like, hey, yeah, put your hands up. He hits your hands. Your hands hit your head. That's fine. It makes a big sound. It looks way better than you know, uh, having everybody constantly on all fours so they can take a a chair shot perfectly across the back. Yeah, and also the idea that Warlow couldn't get his hands up fully, so it it just deflects it, or it it goes through his hands and hits his head. Like, it's... It it works on all all biological grounds. Like, it works for me there. Uh, The uh, last listener delete, there's one here from Jimmy Wonders that I think, you know... We, we've missed Aaron over the last few weeks, and I feel like that this is a good throwback to that. Delete. No top of cage spots. <laughs> um, yeah. They didn't go I off mean, the cage. I don't want to endorse that complaint because Aaron used it on last year's match of the year, uh, and I should have gotten way more mad about it than I actually did. Uh, I actually, I, I remember getting mad about it the day after All Out. Uh, only only after I, you know, slept on it did I realize how fucking stupid that take was from Aaron and how mad I was. 
uh, that he didn't enjoy literally the match of the year uh, <laughs> and and an emotional catharsis in pro wrestling uh, because he wanted more than the one already great spot that we had off the top of the cage in that match. Um, but yeah, I, got, I, I didn't have any expectation of a top of cage spot here, so th- this didn't bother me. Especially when you saw they had the cage set up so they can get stuff out from underneath the ring like that. You're not going to do do the spot there when that happened. I just thought that that was kind of funny. So that was the second one. Uh, Let's run down the rest of the show, Nate. Uh, We lit off with the Undisputed Era, the former Undisputed Era, uh, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly versus the champion team, Adam Hangman Page and Jurassic Express. As we mentioned earlier, we talked about this match. Cole wins after he lowers the boom on Jungle Boy. Uh, Keith Lee and Team Taz are backstage, and they're preaching no physicality here. And it's going to be Lee versus Max Caster on Friday. And he says, Ricky says that they ask kicking save for another day. Last Friday was a consequence of him showing up to Ricky Stark's show, and they are threatening to do the same thing on Friday. Yep. Then we had Chris Statlander taking off the makeup and taking out the iPad, the uh, the uh, contact. I I hope that she's taking it off there to have even more insane makeup. Like that's what I really want. Like I I don't want to, yeah. like plain face Statlander. Like that's fine. Like her getting serious, but let's have her go really alien mode instead. You know, like that should be her yeah. getting serious. I don't really want her getting serious. We barely had her as the alien. We've barely even seen how over that could be. You know, the boop thing. That's good. Um, and I don't know. She's done it on television half a dozen times. Like, it just just seems crazy to me to, like, change these characters in their infancy uh, when you've barely even seen how much they might work. Yeah, and I like the idea of, like, we need to have a female version of the pain maker. We need to have the female version of black BB Hulk, dark side Hulk. I want to see like, like absolute alien Chris Statlander. Like have her just have like full on like face paint, you know, give her like special prosthetic teeth for the night, crazy costume, like spitting up viscous fluid. Like just go. Okay. Now this, this sounds too much like Abaddon now. That would be a great tag team. No, but like don't like absolute it. alien Chris Statlander and Abaddon, the living dead girl. Come on. I can just Vito. see the t-shirts. Vito. I can just see the t-shirts coming out of that. Okay. No, fine. no spitting up goo. I, I mean, we already have a lot of people who spit goop in this company. That's right. It's a goop heavy company. <laughs> it is a goop heavy company. I have to see the budget line for that. Gwyneth uh, Paltrow is going to sue for copyright infringement. I mean, you know, did she sell goop or did she still own it? I thought she like, she got like, most no, of her I, shares of it uh, bought I, up. I, I think she still owns it. I think they have a show on Netflix now or something. They would. I, uh, maybe it's just that she has a lot of, uh, of uh, what's it called? I'm blanking on it. Uh, it's the venture capital investment. Maybe that's why I was thinking. Yeah, she, she, she's had ser- Series C funding that raised a valuation <laughs> to, to a quarter billion dollars for God. Goop. Yeah. Society. She made, she, made, she made like two good movies. I mean, two. And, and I, mean, I mean, she had she had one remarkable performance that I can think of. Uh, but I think then she won an Oscar for Shakespeare in Love or something. I never saw. Yeah, it. yeah, she won the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. Okay, I mean, yeah. So she had two good movies. 
uh, and that just <laughs> gets you a, a goop empire somehow. It's uh, perplexing. Yeah, I mean, Royal Tenenbaums, that's a good movie she was in. That's the other one, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's the that's one fair. where it's like, oh, wow, she actually brought something to this role instead of being like, well, here's Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Forgot that there was a 1998 Great Expectations movie. Hmm. Wonder how that holds up. She was in that. Yeah, yeah. She played Heathcliff. Estella. Heathcliff, a uh, hard eight. Emma. She was Emma and Emma. Shallow Hal. Shallow Sky, Hal. Sky Hapton and the World of Tomorrow. World of Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, she of course was in all the Marvel movies, and she claims she doesn't know which one she was in. <laughs> That was funny. That was maybe the other best thing she did when she was like, oh, I, I was in a Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. If, if that became her gimmick, that would be fantastic. Uh, after Chris Statlander took off the makeup, it was uh, uh, Brian Danielson and John Moxley with William Regal versus Chuck Taylor and Wheeler Yuta. We talked about this before. Finish was Danielson stomping the uh, doing the stomps into a tagged bulldog coat choke on Wheeler Yuta. And afterwards, he got the Anoki slap from William Regal. After that, we had FTR and the Young Bucks. Uh, we went over that. The Acclaimed were backstage. Uh, Max Caster did, did a bunch of Master P No Limit shoulder references. Ricky stopped Everyone Loves the Acclaim, and then Swerve steps in and says, okay, that's fine because I beat you. And, you know, whose house is it? It's Swerve's house. So, yeah. This is uh, only in AEW do people start making – Master P and Ultimate Soldier references, and I go, "Ooh, Cody Rhodes, <laughs> <laughs> the best segment." Uh, and and being the elite history was him tying the tie, saying, yeah. and say, huh?" Yeah, that was tremendous. There was a shirt. Um, that was maybe that was probably the third best thing Cody ever did in this promotion. Uh, but yeah, they should. Uh, you know, Master P, of course, still in wrestling. Got to bring him in. I mean, the next time they run the uh, tri-state area. You know, I mean, maybe you need to co-promote with Hog. Maybe that's what you need to do. It'd be huge. Go for Mass Madison Square Garden having AEW and House of Glory. I mean, sign me up there with a, a No Limit Shoulders performance there. Man, butts and seats, man. Butts and seats. Uh, I'd be one of them. Oh, I might have to make that trip too. Uh, Jericho Appreciation Society. Uh, was there any other points you wanted to make about the segment before we moved on? Um. Jericho said, I think that the earth has been around for, uh, you know, 4 billion years or something. So nice to see that Jericho is not a, uh, you know, a, a, a new age earth believer because you can't yeah. be sure about that. Um, he said he was talking about January 6th at one point and I gripped my chair tightly. That was scary. <laughs> that was scary. I think everyone collectively went, oh, yeah, every <laughs> that was briefly worrisome. Um, I think that was about it. Yeah, I just want to say Daddy Magic Matt Menard and Cool Hand Ange Angelo Parker. I hope they get new gear with that too. Like full on like edge heads, like Jericho flunky gear. That guy just would not change his first name from Matt, huh? It's like, well, you know, we've got six other Matts. We've got already got yeah. Matt and Jeff. And he's like, no, I'm fucking being Matt. That's that's all there is. I I mean, they're just going to refer to him as Daddy Magic. Like you should just go by Magic Menard. Magic Menard, yeah. I mean, you keep the alliteration right there. Daddy Magic Menard. I don't like Menard. That's not. It just reminds me of Menards, which is our uh, regional hardware store chain here. Right. Yeah. Not a. Wouldn't be my choice. Yeah, it, it is sufficiently Canadian, though. 
Yeah. It, it's mattered how it's spelled. If, if it's A-U in this, then Jericho yeah. probably gave him this name because he's like, and then when you turn on me, I'm going to call you Nards. <laughs> That's like a Jericho joke. Yeah. Matty Nards. He's going to call him Matty Nards. Nards. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, uh, that that's pretty likely. Uh, the Serena Deep promo that we talked about, uh, uh, cool lines there. Uh, Serena Deep's going, look who came out of hiding. I'm flattered, but I didn't think about you once. And then she completely loses it. And she says, okay, how much will I think about you after I end your career if you still want to go with this? I think this was the Serena Deep's best promo she's done in the company. Like, this rocked. For, this was the best 45-second promo they had all night. Yeah, you know, I, I like her as a heel a lot better. Um and really better as a heel promoing than a heel wrestling, you know, barely trained women wrestlers. Um, so, yeah, this was this was solid. After that, we had the uh, TNT title match, as we talked about before. The finish was Spears doing a, a misdirect, which let MJF top out from underneath the ring. And then he uh, gets shoves him lightly into the turnbuckle and the roll up there. The beatdown had afterwards. Crowd was going nuts for Wardlow in this match. Uh, Jade and Smart Mark Sterling are backstage. Mark was mad that Alex was not wearing green. And kept on talking about the Kiss of Doom. Jade seems to be already over the Kiss of Doom. But then they bring up who is going to get the Kiss of Doom and be the 30th loss as Jade goes 30-0. and 0. So, you know. That's kind of what they've been doing, though, with Jade. Like this, like, this is like the one kind of like of these boom, boom, boom promos. I mean, like this is what they've done for for months now. Like this is the one I can't really get up in arms about. Yeah, no, I, I just like these two. So when they do these, I'm just kind of happy to see them. And I'm like, oh, I bet Mark Sterling says something, you know, uh, as a little comical add-on here. So yeah. Then we had uh, the Hardys versus Private Party. Uh, Jeff won with the Megaton, Swanton, Bomb on Isaiah Cassidy. Red Velvet backstage, they had her during the uh, read for what's going to be on Rampage. Talking about Layla Hirsch, Velvet says she had Layla's back before, but now she's seen what she's become and she's going to put a stop to it, Nate. She's going to stop Layla Hirsch. Good luck. Good luck. As we go into the... The uh, the main event, the woman who beat Layla Hirsch last week, Thunder Rosa, defeats Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, in a steel cage for the AEW World Women's title. A year to basically a year to the day from the no DQ match. This match, yeah. there's there's lots to unpack here, I feel like. Yeah. Um it, it kind of amazing we got to literally the end of the show uh before addressing what well, was kind of the biggest thing on the show. Um, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I didn't like it as I really, I think the crowd kind of carried this match. Um, but that's, that means you've succeeded for the most part in getting your audience to care about your wrestlers and your matches and your titles. Um, so that's a positive in that regard. Um, yeah, it was not as, uh, violent or crazy or unexpected or surprising or memorable as the initial lights out match. I don't think, um, I don't think it hit any of those notes really. Um, the, uh, I don't know, first seven minutes or something really felt like nothing was happening. Uh, you know, even, even after they bloodied Brit, uh, 
it felt pretty by the numbers uh, and was not particularly exciting me. Um, it, you know, felt like, well, we have to do blood. Uh, so, you know, we're going to get our blood here. Uh, and it just didn't have, you know, just that raw, exciting tension of urgency or, you know, any of those feelings that you want to feel. Um, but it did accelerate from there. Uh, and yeah, really, I think the crowd being so behind Thunder Rosa in her uh, adopted hometown, I think, really helped it a lot um, because it, it could have been, you know, colder elsewhere and that it really would have been uh, maybe a problem. Um, the, I guess the big spot is this Tower of Doom chair bump, maybe. I, I think that's the it biggest was, spot. And it, it was, was bad. <laughs> it got such a reaction. Uh, uh, people were like, I don't know. It was. It looked like the softest big bump of all time. Like Brit sat on the chair <laughs> and then the chair fell backwards and she took a bump onto her, you know, upper back. Uh, <laughs> and I was, I mean, it couldn't have gone better for her because, <laughs> you know, she basically rode that one chair down the whole way. Uh, she, she kind of did a pratfall. <laughs> yeah. I just, it, you know, it's funny. Like you set up the chair tower, um, but in setting it up the way that they did, it just made the bump, you know, and I, Hey, I, this is, I guess this is the idea uh, for, you know, pro wrestling is you do something that seems crazy and dangerous and you, you know, make it as, uh, as, as, as little dangerous, as least dangerous, the least dangerous that it could be. Uh, and like I said, it still got a big reaction and people were going crazy. Uh, but you know, you put a, you put a second level of chairs on it and it just makes the bump easier to take because you're not falling as far. <laughs> uh, so she fall, I don't know. She falls on the chair, basically sits on it and then rises to the bottom. Could not have gone better for her. So I was very tickled by that. Uh, but yeah, the crowd did get into it. Uh, you know, Rosa got color. Um, they got tax involved. We're back to tax in every hardcore match. Um, but you know, crowd goes crazy for it. Uh, and yeah, so really the crowd going crazy, you know, really made this memorable and fun to watch. Um, despite, I don't know, the Rosa didn't seem to have a lot of fire in here. You know, what I usually say about Rosa is like, even if she's in there with, uh, you know, uh, one of her students or something on a dark where she's like not in with somebody who's super experienced and trained, Rose is still going to go in and lay shit in uh, and is going to make it watchable for that reason. Uh, and here even, you know, didn't, didn't have that same level of impact and, and, and force and uh, uh, that raw feeling again. So I don't know. She, she, they didn't, did not seem like they were super in sync, um, but they did some cool spots. And yeah, crowd was super into it. So that made it fun. Yeah, like if it wasn't for the crowd, like this was like the crowd from last week, this match would have been bad. This match would have just been like a mess. It would have just been like, oh, the chemistry that they had a year ago seemed to be gone in a lot of ways. Like stuff was like looking really bad. Like there was like a Stone Cold Stunner done on 316 oh, Day in San Antonio that looked awful like brett looked like so, so I, she's I, been doing she sorry she's been doing these stunners in the ad break for like three or four weeks yeah um and they usually get no reaction uh mm -hmm. 
but they usually at least look better. Um, but this one looked bad and got the biggest reaction. So go figure. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want to play too much into like rumors and like Twitter instigation here, but sometimes when two people aren't on the same page and don't like each other, they go out and like beat the shit out of each other and it's really entertaining and it's like okay like eddie kingston chris hero were great at this like when they had like their like all-encompassing feud on the indies in like 2006 or so and then you sometimes get a match where like if that is the case here they just did not want really much anything to do a part of them and yet brit like after like a near fall immediately go outside grab a chair and yeah. swing the chair and then going straight to the finish <laughs> so like, strange <laughs> that was this like was a whole, weird the, match yeah this was the weird. last the last well, i don't know what that was maybe the last 40 seconds made no fucking sense whatsoever it was so bizarre uh but yeah it, it was kind of a mess in uh and you know enhanced by the crowd and the and the you know heat in the building uh you know a mess can be fun and uh memorable so yeah and, and and like the big thing is that rosa does come off like saving the title switch for the hometown for the hometown response was the right decision because like how the crowd got so into her like her entrance with the uh, uh with the women mariachi band was sick as hell her face paint looked great and her face paint looked even better when she bled a bunch like that was something like that was another listener elite was talking about that like she like well like there were aspects of this match that were so cool and then there were other things where it's just like this is not good at all it is weird yeah it was weird (laughs) and here's like the the thing about it like as like we're talking like both of us were like the crowd was awesome the uh, and the crowd response made this feel like a moment the match wasn't really good like I can't really put that as an elite or delete because of that. And I'm looking at the listener ones and a lot of them are like, are like right winner and great moment. But as a match, the main couldn't live up to lights out. Uh, and just like things about like along those lines, like Rosa being champ, like, like that's things like this. Like, it's just kind of a weird cage match and feud ender that just like, they had such a high match. Like the lights out match was so yeah. special and trying to chase that magic and try and chase that magic in a few that has not been satisfying at all. You know, thank God they didn't say Antonio. That, yeah. That's well, really yeah, what it boils down to. That's really the takeaway. I think, because if you hadn't done this in San Antonio, uh, then, you know, the feud was cold. Rosa would be cold. Um, and you would, you know, be moving backwards in this division really. So, uh, doing the little cheat here and doing it in Rosa's hometown, kind of propped it up uh, for this title change um, because yeah, you know, they, this feud was hotter a year ago when they did lights out match. Um, certainly coming off the lights out match, both these women were way hotter than I think either one of them is now. Um, you know, just in terms of having momentum and everybody going crazy for the match and being like, Oh, those two women killed it. Uh, and you know, then they, stayed away from the feud for a long time and Britt moved on to her title reign and doing other things. Um, and Rosa was just not around at all. Um, and when they came back to it, it was just much colder. Uh, and they didn't really do anything to, to heighten it or turn it around. It just, you know, just didn't get back there. Um, and (laughs) you know, a lot of the feud was like just awkward shit on Twitter that I don't really want any part of anymore. 
like just just i find it boring the twitter sniping and shit um about each other's social media presences or whatever does that a total snooze to me and, and honestly just turns me off both of them uh so whatever they they did the right thing in getting this to a place where it would be hot for this title change in this room uh <laughs> uh now we'll see now we'll see what we can do next and hopefully we get some kind of program that'll really fire rosa up uh because i i think they need it yeah, it's going to be how they come out of this and who they build up as next challenger for her because, you know, it feels like that you've had two heel champions just run through the babyface side and the heel side feels very depleted in a way that it's like, Nyla, I don't know if you really want to go back to Nyla at this point. Jade's doing her own thing. Like, really, it's like Jade is the match, but you're not going to do that match so soon. And well, then the rest yeah. of that. I mean, you, you can't do Jade because she's doing her Goldberg thing in the title. I mean, right. I like Nyla. I, I like Nyla a lot, uh, but she's not hot because she's never on TV. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really, the established overheel is Serena Deeb. So I guess you have to have her beat Sheeta in their feud and then do Deeb and Rosa, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to have a hot heel challenger. And then the next heel that I can think of is Layla Hirsch and. Uh, you know, I don't think that that heel turn and program is genuinely hot, but she's the one that they've been, you know, building up underneath, I suppose. So, um, yeah, maybe Rosa and Deeb can be a hot program. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tempering my expectations, I suppose. Yeah, because after you get like through those, then it's like, okay, the bunny. Uh, Penelope Ford hasn't been around really since the no DQ match herself. Uh, yeah. Emmy Sakura, they're not going to push that level, even though that's probably the best match available is Emmy. But, you know, so it's just, it's going to be, I'm guarded. I'm going to say, like, I'm very guarded about how this how run's going to be. I think it's the best way to put it. Uh, if you like the show, the best way to support Everything Elite is on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Everything Elite. Three tiers, three, five, and eight. Five dollars gets you all the audio we do. $8 lets you listen into everything that we do live. And we also have our Discord that is an added benefit there. I mean, it's it's my favorite Discord server I've ever been a part of. It's great people, great time. Uh, and audio content-wise, each week, uh, Aaron and I do a Dynamite preview on Wednesdays called uh, AEW Lite. I've been doing it solo the last two weeks. Last week, I kind of gave a mini tea break maybe like a tea sip talking about the AEWROH uh relationship and tony khan purchasing it this week we did a one person mailbag where i went in completely blind nate called ask mike anything and that was a good time i got to talk about the conquistador archiving story which is always a fun story for me and lay out my theory about Metal Gear solid and uh my take on Ollie Ollie World, Nate, which, you know, too talky for me at this point. I did jump wow. off. Jumped yeah. off off the board. It You know, like uh, the original Ollie Ollie's, I like the fact that you do runs and you can immediately get back in if you fail the run. Like it's like one of those like repetitive task games. You you can't jump back into a run in Ollie Ollie World. You got to mm. you got to go through like them, like talking everything and like queuing up the stage. And uh, you're, like the core is still there, but they just added on superficial layers there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really a a core element of a good skateboarding game is, hey, I'm going to try this line over and over and over again until I hit it 
uh, yeah, I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't recommend fucking it that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I did get to play in like 30 minutes of Tunic today. They just came out on Game Pass. That's that's good fun. That's a good Game Pass game so far. I saw that was added, uh, but I don't know anything about it. Is it any good? Yeah, it's a isometric style uh, Fez meets uh, original Legend of Zelda. Cute graphics. Looks great okay. on a Series X. I like uh, like Zelda. Hated Fez. I, I, I say it's like Fez because... The like I'm not too far into it, but it looks like you're not really explained everything, and there's like a language that you have to decipher throughout it, like explaining mm. things to you. Okay, yeah, I I dig yeah. it though. It's Might give fun. it a try. Um, I do, of course, have too many games to be considering taking on new ones. Um, started playing a Rocket League again, playing the Stranger Paradise game, Kill Chaos. Uh, How many still times have you Cyberpunk. Kill Chaos? Zero times. Oh man, so that sucks. I got through like three levels, uh, but I'm, I'd like to I'd like to to finish up Cyberpunk really before I jump into it because uh, I don't know I I actually got into Cyberpunk now that they put out the most recent patch that like makes it playable um, mm-hmm. and does the next gen upgrades and I really it, it's really kind of an amazing game now that it functions um, so hopefully I can put that on put that in my rearview mirror and then move on to something else. Yeah, I mean, I just finished Control. That was the game that I really wanted to get put some time into. And, you know, great game. Control. Really enjoyed it. I like that. Remedy Break People. Did yeah, you? I tend to like the Remedy games. Uh, and I, The Control aesthetic was always cool to me. Um, there was a time when I was really into that kind of... I don't know what I would even describe it as. It's like, it's like a, a cousin of like the nasa aesthetic of like the 60s um right yeah yeah. it's very deep in that and has plot reasons why it's deep in that too which is cool yeah Yeah. so i've been doing that they show you like an old an old rotary telephone and it's like this is an object of power and it's just like an old ass (laughs) phone and i'm like hell yeah look at that cool phone it's black and simple uh and that's just it and that would you know that would be my whole tumblr brand for like six months buddy this would be your Tumblr thing you, you tumbled about for six months in 2012 if you played it. Like this, yes. this is 2012 Nick Core. But that's what I talked about on Light and on the weekends. We do a show called EE World Tour where we review each week's Rampage. Last week it was Nate and I. Aaron is slotted to be with the show with me this week. Aaron's first show back. I have an idea on what we might do about that. The show, uh, and he seems to be okay with that. I'm going to keep it as a surprise there. But if you want to get all this extra content and you want to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Uh, we do have a card for Rampage. Nothing for uh, Dynamite next week. Rampage, we have all four matches announced. Darby Allen versus The Butcher, uh, building off of you know the Hardys and Allen and Sting and the AFO. Layla Hirsch versus Red Velvet. Keith Lee versus Max Caster. Both those matches also built up on Dynamite. And then a trios match, the House of Black versus Bear Country and Fuego Del Sol, baby. Is this Fuego's first TV match since his Miro challenge? I mean, uh, no, he faced, uh, he faced uh, the, the Hook. I think it was in Hook's debut match. Hmm. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Long Island? 
Yeah, I want to say it was Long Island. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he hasn't even... Right. Yep. I don't, I don't think he's really been too much on Dark and Elevation too much that I remembered either. Yeah, so he has not been on TV since... Scrolling down here. Boy, you really got to scroll down to get to it. Yeah, it was since uh, the Miro match, and then after that, it was Hook. So he hasn't been on TV since December, since uh, since the UBS Arena in Long Island. That feels like a lifetime ago, in the day of Hook. So Aaron and I will be talking about that on World Tour this week. But I think that's going to do it for this week, Nate. Anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? You want to talk about more 1960s government bureaucracy aesthetic? Um. Nope, I think that's it. Um, nope, that's all I got. All right. So, as I said, the best way to support the show is at patreon.com slash everything elite. You can follow the show on Twitter at everything AEW. Nate is at Epitasis. I'm at Fujiheya. Aaron is at Aaron Like the Car. If you want a quick and easy link to access everything that we do here at Everything Elite, Go to linktree slash everything AEW. But for Nate, I'm Mike. That's going to do it for everything elite. We'll be back with you next time. Take care. 